0: And welcome back to another episode of Finance in a Flash. I'm your host, John Motto, and today I'm joined again by Chip Heimiller as we continue our series on estate planning. Uh, We're really excited to get started today where we'll be touching on revocable living trusts. If you haven't listened to the other episodes in our estate planning series, we've already covered asset titling, probate, and wills. Uh, Those are episodes 40, 41, and 42. And if you haven't given those a listen, I would highly encourage it. Uh, so before we get started today, um, I think I'll just ask you a little icebreaker question, Chip. You know, we always like to have a little fun before we get into the uh, to the meat and potatoes of what we're going to be talking about today. So with the holidays around the corner, Chip, I think our listeners and I would also like to know, what is your favorite holiday food?
1: Hmm, so I, I've... I love the way you introed that. That's perfect. The meat and potatoes of, of trust, but <laughs> I, I love that. So uh, let me, I think that I'm kind of a no-frills guy. I think everyone who knows me knows that. And, I can confirm uh, that. Yeah, confirm. <laughs> so I think that I, lo- if I go to Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner and there's no um, cranberry sauce, not not like fancy cranberry sauce, but kind of the, the cranberry sauce inside of a can, like the jelly stuff. I, I'm disappointed, so I, I have to say that that is my my favorite. I, I love cranberry sauce, the jelly kind. You can buy it from any grocery store. It doesn't have to be Whole Foods or somewhere fancy. I think I think Food Line has that. And uh, but that's me. That's what I like, and it's 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 perfect. What about you? Well, I,
0: first I got to touch on what you just said. Okay? <laughs> I think you might be one of the only people I know that would have picked cranberry sauce, but you know what? Knowing you and like you said, no frills guy, I'm not that surprised. But I guess for me, um, I'm I'm really into the just the um, well, I really like sweet potato souffle. Um, my grandma used to make that, and it's always something I've kind of enjoyed. It's it's typically served, you know, with the, the Thanksgiving dinner itself, but in a way, it's kind it of a well dessert. Cranberry yeah. sauce, right? Yep. Um, yeah.
1: You know, I, I think that's great, you know, if if I've got the sweet potato souffle and a, a nice slice of cranberry on a turkey sandwich, I think, you know, what, what else could you ask for, right? <laughs> not much more, not
0: much more. But like we said, the holidays are coming up. I'm really excited for those. It's a great time to be around friends and family, and so um, it's going to be great. But I, I say we get into this thing. What do you say, Chip? Let's do it. So like we said, like we talked about a little bit earlier, today we're going to be continuing our estate planning series. So um, today we're going to be talking about revocable living trust. Um, And Chip, kind of to kick us off, could you, can you describe generally what is a a revocable living trust and, you know, what are the primary purposes and why do people set these up?
1: Yeah, so uh, absolutely. So basically a revocable living trust is simply a legal document that provides instructions on how assets held in the revocable trust uh, can be used and distributed. Okay, so uh, in terms of uh, so it's simply a legal document. It's uh, something that an attorney drafts, and and in that document it outlines kind of you know how assets can be used and, and really um, how assets are distributed in, in certain periods of time. That there really, in terms of the purpose of revocable living trust, there's really two primary purposes. Uh, the first is the first is kind of um, uh, the most basic, in that anything that's held in a, any asset that is held in revocable living trust avoids the public process of probate altogether, and and avoiding probate is is kind of nice because it saves people time, hassle, and, and money, as there is a cost to the probate process, and and um, and all of that would kind of be avoided because the uh, the revocable living trust um, kind of stipulates. At a person's death what happens and you know and so that that doesn't go flow through the will as a lot of people think it it's the, the revocable living trust has already stipulated what happens with the assets there and so you know that the the fact that it avoids probate is a a, a very uh, nice advantage um especially in some situations like there are some situations where it's really nice like if you own out-of-state property for example it's nice to have that property listed in the revocable, entitled in the revocable living trust. That way you're not having to probate uh, estates in, in two different states, right? So that's that's a big benefit. The other benefit, and one that I really in, over my lifetime have seen just in, as a practitioner, kind of seen uh, the benefits, is that it's an automatic means for handling uh like incapacity issues, situ- health issues that arise over time as people age, you know, and really um, as people age, their their ability to make financial decisions may really become diminished for some. And so revocable living trust kind of stipulate, hey, what happens when a person becomes, there's a medical issue or there's a memory issue or there's there's something that happens that, you know, someone can't really control their, their finances anymore. And, and so naming, uh, you know, and really titling assets in the name of a revocable living trust really helps in that regard because there's a person that's named in the document that say, the document kind of says, hey, if the primary person who established the trust can no longer make decisions on this trust, no, no longer make investment decisions and other decisions, then there is this, it's named another person, a successor trustee is what that person's called, and they kind of step in automatically and, and can start making decisions and writing checks and um, making investment decisions on uh, the original uh, grantors or the person who establishes the trust on their behalf. And, and Chip, you, you mentioned uh, successor
0: trustee in, in kind of your general explanation. I think, I think it's important that we kind of touch on, you know, who, who would be the trustee and, you know, what, what role does the trustee serve?
1: Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, the trustee evolves over time, right? So that's the whole point of, of having a revocable living trust, you know, during your lifetime, um, you, you you know, oftentimes the person who creates the trust is the actual trustee. So during their lifetime, they have ultimate control of what goes on with their own money and their own property. But, um, the document itself also kind of says, well, but if at the at some point in time in the future, if the original trustee can no longer make decisions on this property, what happens? Well, then it's a successor trustee is named. And there's a process for handling, you know, how do you decide if um, the successor can step in or can that happen at any time? And, but that's kind of outlined in the document itself as well. But the successor trustee is super important. And, you know, oftentimes, um, you know, there's, there's, at least one successor trustee, but oftentimes it's it's a couple of trustees because you know like for example if a, if a husband names his wife as a successor, well, what if she's incapacitated you know who who serves as successor trustee then so it needs to be a couple of iterations of um, of these decision makers who can kind of step in and 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 make decisions for the um, original trust trustees' behalf so you kind of mentioned about
0: who might be. A trustee, the spouse, maybe a child or a other family member, but you know what happens if I'm in a case where maybe i, I don't I don't want to name a spouse or a, a family member
1: as trustee? yeah and sometimes people you know there there are no family members, you know I mean we've seen that a couple of times, mm-hmm. and so there are situations where you can name uh, like a financial institution as a um, successor trustee, you know and they're they're called corporate trustees, so you know oftentimes banks can serve as corporate trustees. There are other types of institutions that that's all they do as they're called independent trustees and they can kind of, but they're, again, they're a corporate trustee that can kind of step in and there's a trust department and usually there's one point of contact um, in that trust department and they can help, you know, make those decisions in the event that the original trustee no longer can, can do that.
0: Exactly, and and I I love talking about um, corporate trustees because you know we'll talk about this with our clients, and then you know they they like the idea of a corporate trustee, and then they ask us um, a question. I think we get you know at least I've seen a couple of times is could Beacon or a, a financial institution like Beacon could could we serve as a um, a corporate trustee?
1: Yeah, so Beacon does not serve as a trustee and. You know there there's kind of a conflict of interest there, and that's something that we don't, um, you know, we don't do that, we don't provide that service for our clients. However, there are lots of situations where the trustee hires Beacon. So, for example, you know, uh, even a corporate trustee, there are independent trustees who kind of serve the function of the administrative portion of of the trust, but they can hire Beacon as um, as investment advisor uh, to. That the trust. And so, you know, we can play a role, we're just not the trustee.
0: Right. Um, and I think that's a really important point to make. So, Chip, we've kind of talked a lot about the benefits of, you know, a revocable living trust. We talked about, you know, incapacity issues, distribution benefits, right? So, could you, are there any tax benefits though?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. Again, so ta- tax, from a tax perspective, revocable living trusts are really considered tax neutral. You know, so, so funding, creating and funding a revocable living trust does not change the tax implications of the underlying assets that are held in the trust at all. So, for example, you know, any income that's generated in the trust uh, through investment income, any capital gains that are generated are just passed through directly to the grantor of the trust, the person who's created the trust. And so it's just a pass-through entity from a tax perspective.
0: Great. So Chip, we've talked a lot of, a lot about revocable living trust. Are there any parting words you want
1: to give our listeners? Um, I think the biggest thing, to, there's a couple of things I'd like to point out. One is not everyone needs a revocable living trust. You know, there are situations that really warrant it. I think attorneys are some, sometimes often jump the gun on revocable living trust. You know, there are other ways to avoid probate. Um, some of which we've talked about in a uh, prior podcast, but, yes. you know, I think that, um, you know, everyone may not need a revocable living trust. Um, so that's, that's one thing. The other thing is, and this is a mistake that we've found a lot of times, is people will have a great, re, you know, an attorney has drafted a great revocable living trust, but there's no assets in it. So there's, it's essentially an ineffective legal document. There's nothing that's, that's, that's happening. And so, you know, part two. You know, you get the document drafted and signed and executed, but then you have to go and register um, assets. So it's it's changing the registration of accounts, it's retitling of property in some cases. So there's an extra step that people have to kind of go through um, in order to actually fund the trust. So having the trust is great, but really you you need to fund the trust as well. So and that's that's uh, really the most important aspect of it, but. You know, I can't tell you the number of times where a clients come in and we've looked at their legal documents and they they have a revocable living trust when I say, well, what's in here? And they say, well, I don't know. that any, I don't know. You tell me, you know. And so we, we look into it and there's nothing in the trust. So, you know, we have to go through the process and, and help uh, and really connect back with the attorney in some cases and just kind of say, hey, what was your ideas with this? Like, you know, I can see the benefits, but is there something that we're missing? And so we can collaborate with the attorneys to kind of get assets retitled and that sort of thing. But, you know, to me, that's, everyone doesn't need this trust. It's, you know, it's expensive, you know, trust, revocable living trust, just the document itself can cost, you know, 1500 3000 5000 depending on the attorney. So it's, it's not something that you, want to just have and kind of put it aside you you want to make it active and use it when it when it comes in handy so that that's kind of what i would say to our listeners
0: yeah and those are a lot of great points you know i i do think it's interesting that you mentioned you know people coming in and you know they the revocable living trust technically not being funded um that is a mistake we've seen you know a few times enough times to to make sure we mention it on this podcast but um
1: yeah and the, the other thing i was going to say too you know um a lot of people there's some confusion around what happens to the trust whenever the grantor or the you know, the original person who funds the trust what happens when they die you know how to how to trust assets um what happens there well the trust document has already outlined what happens you know uh, from a um from a standpoint of you know who gets what it's already says in the trust document who the beneficiaries are and um and that's you know that's as, it's better than having, you know, it's, it's like a beneficiary designation for a normal account or a piece of property. And so, you know, I think that's an important thing to point out as well. You know, it's, it's a document that's created when someone's alive, they can make changes throughout their lifetime. And when they pass away, it kind of ends, you know, it, it's, it distributes to the beneficiaries and kind of serves its purpose there. So I think that's, Important. The other thing is um, any assets that are held in the revocable living trust do are eligible to receive a step-up in basis. So that's another thing that people um, ask with, with regards to the revocable living trust. So, yes, you do get a step-up in basis just like you would, you know, if you own the, the um, investment personally in your own name.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that about does, unless you have anything else to add, Chip. Uh, We want to thank you guys so much for listening to this episode on Revocable Living Trust as we have continued our estate planning series. Um, Like we said earlier in the episode, we do have other episodes on estate planning. We talk about probate, we've talked about asset tiling, and we've talked about wills as well. So if you haven't given those a listen, please do. But thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.